Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're broadcasting right across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Wow. How about that Super Bowl? For those of you in the United States or anywhere across the world that watched that Super Bowl, that was one of the great moments in sport. And whether or not you're an an American football fan, that Tom Brady at 39 is extraordinary. So congratulations to the Patriots. That was an incredible memory for us for the rest of our lives. Firstly, today I've got a couple of fantastic announcements to make. Fantastic for me anyway. Um, I've just signed with Voice America Network to be on the air again for another 12 months. It's our sixth year, which is not bad since I was originally given a 13-week trial. And uh, so I'm really thrilled about that. Six years is a fair inning. And secondly, I've just contracted for my daily 30-second read newsletter to go out to an additional 1.36 million people every day, meaning that um, around about 1.5 million people will get my newsletter every day. Now, 1.5 million people reading a newsletter every day isn't bad. Uh, So have you heard about debit cards for 12-year-olds? You know, when you first think about it, Pretty horrifying, I think. Uh, debit cards for 12-year-olds, God. Um, but I love it. Greenlight, which is an Atlanta, Georgia startup, is solving the problem of how to give elementary or junior high school students money without worrying that they'll lose it, spend it on something they shouldn't, or just plain blow it. It isn't the first reloadable prepaid card, MasterCard, Visa, and American Express. Each offer parent-friendly debit cards. But Greenlight's taking on these establishments by adding a heap of services to, and it's FDIC insured, as well as making its pricing very affordable. Greenlight offers a new way to give your child the money they need while monitoring where they can go and spend it. It's the first card with store and website level controls, meaning parents nominate a specific amount that their child can spend at a specific store or website like Starbucks, Barnes & Noble, Apple, um, Amazon, etc. And the ability to choose the specific stores where their kids can shop has really resonated with parents. Now, parents can also automate allowances, set up savings accounts, receive notifications when purchases are made or if transactions have declined. Notifications are also sent out if the child makes a new request or the balance is low or maybe when funds are transferred, when the card's turned on or off or when messages are received. It's pretty cool. And Greenlight are also rolling out Greenlight Savings Account and Greenlight Giving which will give parents and their kids a full view of their finances across spending, saving, and giving. Now, they're very focused on empowering parents to raise their kids to be financially smart, to learn to spend wisely, the importance of saving so they can cover unexpected expenses, 
and how to build wealth through investing and the importance of credit. I think it's a fantastic idea and I love it. I think the horrifying thing is that these kids are 12 and we forget how quickly they all grow up. But um, they are growing up. At 12, they've all got cell phones and, um, you know, you're starting to get peer pressure and, and they want to be able to buy things and spend money and give them cash and it could be a problem. But the great part about this, I reckon, is that Greenlight charge only $4.99 per family per month for up to five kids, and they don't take a percentage from each transaction. So that's pretty cheap, $4.99 per family per month is really cheap. And kids can access cash from an ATM, but the parents have control so they can disable that cash back. They have a program where parents can set a specific amount that their child can withdraw from an ATM for parents who want to have that ability. Now, as soon as parents approve spending in the app, the card is instantly updated. So the kids can be standing in a checkout line at, um, say, Starbucks and realise they don't have enough money to make a request or to buy the item. So as long as the parent's ready to approve it, their card is updated instantly and they're not embarrassed in front of their friends, which is pretty cool. Most junior high and high school kids, they've already got mobile phones and they've already got Apple Pay and they've already got all that stuff. So Greenlight's average age of kids that parents are signing up is 12. The most common story they hear is that as soon as kids get their first mobile phone, they start becoming more independent. They spend a lot more time with their friends than they do with their parents. And that's when they run into the problems with cash that Greenlight solves. Cash can be a pretty unreliable way to track how your kid's spending the money. You know, did they go to the campus bookstore or did they go to the candy store? And studies show that um, 86% of parents use cash as the primary way to give their kids money, but they would prefer a much better solution. So the great thing is that their biggest competitor is actually cash, and that can be lost or stolen or somebody can beat them up and take their money, and it's dangerous to leave too much money with your kids. In addition, you know where the hell they're spending it. They'll be spending it fucking anywhere. So this way the kids get limits as to where the money can be spent. Wow. I love it. I think it is a fantastic learning tool for kids. Now, according to the analyst firm App Annie, Lyft had its best week ever last week. For the first time, Lyft was downloaded more times than Uber by US users on iOS, and Lyft's daily downloads more than doubled its average from the past two weeks. Now, Lyft has been trending in Apple's app store th- throughout the week and has climbed the top free app chart to number four, surpassing Uber, which is sitting at number 13. Now, according to TechCrunch, this is a huge jump over the past three days, Lyft ranked number 39 on the free app chart and by Sunday was up to number seven. Now, analyst firm Sensor Tower estimates that Lyft downloads for January 28-29 totaled 98,000 on the iPhone in the US. That's compared to 55,000 for the previous weekend. That's that's an increase of 78%. Now, according to the South China Morning Post, 
Lyft continued to climb throughout the week. Their sudden rise in popularity comes as Uber's reputation took a hit. The anger initially erupted when thousands of Uber customers angrily deleted the, the app after Uber drivers tried to do business at JFK Airport during the taxi strike. The New York Taxi Workers Alliance called for all drivers to avoid JFK International Airport on Saturday to facilitate protests against US President Donald Trump's executive order barring travellers from seven majority Muslim countries from entering the US. Although according to Donald Trump, it is a ban, but it isn't a ban and it was a ban and it's against Muslim countries and Muslims, but it's not really against Muslims and God. Um, the anger continued because Kalanak, who's the CEO of Uber, is on Trump's business advisory council and working with Trump was not what Uber drivers and protesters wanted. And the company also tweeted after the strike saying it had halted the higher fares that normally kick in during periods of increased demand. And that further pissed customers off. I mean, Jesus, Kalanak just doesn't think. Many people began posting on social media that they were deleting the app along with the hashtag delete Uber. Actor Susan Sarandon tweeted goodbye Uber, hello Lyft. Celebrities like George Takai, Lena Dunham followed delete Uber, an example that many others seem to follow giving Lyft's newfound popularity. On Sunday, Lyft sent an email to users pledging $1 million donation to the ACLU, the non-profit organisation that was able to successfully force a temporary stay on the immigration ban. Uber CEO Kalanak said in a Facebook post that the travel ban could hurt thousands of Uber drivers and that he'll raise his concerns directly with the president during the Friday Business Advisory Group meeting in Washington. But the co-founder of the ride-sharing service was being criticised mercilessly for agreeing to sit on the advisory panel in the first place. Last week, he buckled to the criticism and resigned from the Trump advisory board. So, you know, at the time that he's doing everything wrong, leaders at Facebook, Apple and Uber all put out statements opposing the order eventually. Within a day... Uber was trying to fight back. Kalanak released a new statement with more specifics about how Uber would help drivers, and then he signed a joint letter with New York tech leaders against the immigration ban. So he started to pick up. To lead Uber offers a few lessons for Silicon Valley. First and most obvious, having a positive relationship with customers can prevent you from becoming the target of a backlash. If you look at Tesla's CEO, Elon Musk, who everybody loves, He's also on Trump's advisory council, but he hasn't faced really any significant protest for it. And his um, criticisms of Trump have been well documented. So if Uber or any other company is seen as a collaborator rather than an ally in the burgeoning protest war against Trump's actions, they could soon see it reflected on their balance sheets. Kalanak is obviously very smart. He's gone from nothing to worth, I don't know, can't remember now, um, billions upon bid, $6 billion, $8 billion. So he's obviously smart. 
but his judgment seems to be a bit off and his timing seems to be a bit off. Maybe he'll learn as he gets a bit older. He's only a kid still. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read newsletter? We now have 81,000 daily subscribers and we're about to get 1.45 million daily subscribers. 1.45 million daily subscribers. That's a hell of a lot. I've been trying to find out whether that's the biggest subscriber base for a newsletter in the world, but I haven't been able to um, to identify that yet. But if I find out, I'll let you know. So every week, 1.45 million every day, sorry, 1.45 million people every day will get my newsletter as from, I think, next week. So um, if you don't get it, I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enrol. It takes just 30 seconds to read, and it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. So when you go to the water cooler in the morning with all your workmates and you're trying to impress the blonde across the way, you'll kill them because you'll have all this fantastic information that nobody else has got. And they'll think, geez, this guy's smart, and uh, you'll become a winner. So um, if you don't if you don't get my 30-second read newsletter, go to the website, bobpritchard.com, and enrol. You'll be glad you did. My guest today is Greg Logan. He's another Aussie, and uh, like me, been in America a long time. If this is the first time you've heard me, I've actually been living in America for 30 years. I've had a little bit of trouble getting rid of the accent, but... I've been here 30 years. Well, Greg Logan's been here a long time too, and he started as a copyright copywriter at Leo Burnett when he was 19, and he became creative di- director at the age of 25. He started his own agency, McMahon & Tate, and has created some of the most awarded and popular advertising over the past two decades with the world's biggest brands. I mean, they're, they're just the who's who of brands Greg's written for. In his spare time, he writes creative reality TV shows. Now, that's pretty suspect, so don't hold that against him. I don't know about you, but I hate reality TV. It sucks. But um, anyway, that's what he does. It amuses him. You know, feel sorry for the poor bastard. But Greg's got clients now across the US, the UK and Australia with his new consultancy, and it's called The Definery, D-F-I-N-E-R-Y. And what he does is he takes businesses, whether they're small or large or whatever, and helps them become brands. There's a big difference between having a business and having a brand. And uh, what Greg will do is help you become a brand. And I'll be back with Greg, Greg Logan, great guy, lives not far from me in um, Laurel Canyon in Los Angeles, California. And I'll be back with Greg immediately after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. 
Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where over the last five years, and incidentally, I've just signed for a sixth year, we've given you insights into the lives of over, I don't know, 350 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked to them about what they do, what they what makes them tick, the challenges that they faced. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business, and we all need to take all the advice that we can get from those entrepreneurs and, and people who have gone before us and been successful because no point going out there and making mistakes that somebody else has shown you either in an interview or in a book how to solve. So the aim of this segment is to assist you to overcome challenges and become successful. Now, my guest today Greg Logan, he started as a copywriter at Leo Burnett's at the age of 19, and he worked for them for 17 years from Sydney to Milan, and he was creative director at the age of 25. That's pretty pretty cool, um, you know, and, and being a, a creative director for a big agency means that, um, you know, have long lunches and you work in these places with acres of marble in the foyer and usually on a Friday afternoon you sit around and get stoned. That's how um, the creative director business works. Good business. Um, those, those are the good old days, Bob. <laughs> Greg, Greg started and sold his own agency, McMahon and Tate, and he's created some of the most awarded and popular advertising over the past two decades. He's worked with some of the world's biggest brands, from United to Kellogg's to Fiat to Subaru and Microsoft and Procter and Gamble and a whole bunch of them. He's also been the executive creative director of large branding agencies, and in his spare time, he writes and creates reality TV shows. Now, I know every one of you listening hate reality TV shows, but that's what he does in his spare time. He'd be one of the few people in the world to win international awards across advertising, film, and TV. He's got clients across the US, the UK, and in Australia, and he's originally Australian, although he's been living in the US for a long time, with his new consultancy called... The Definery, just D-E-F-I-N-E-R-Y. It's a great website, incidentally, which is helping small to mis- medium businesses become brands. Greg, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard right around the world. And I can feel it, Bob. I can feel the ears um, of those intelligent, wonderful people all around the world. That's true. It's true. We. It's interesting they send... Emails and things through the show saying, you know, asking questions or 
get that idiot off or whatever <laughs> it is. So we'll see how you go. Um, why is being a brand important? You know, what's the benefit of spending all the time and money and energy on, on all that really wanky stuff? Why can't I just have a good business that sells good product to good people at a good price? Yeah. I mean, brand is one of those terms that's thrown around a lot and it is pretty wanky and a lot of stuff that goes around it is pretty wanky. But a brand is much more than people think. A lot of people think it could be a product, but it is much, much more than a product and it lives beyond product. So within a brand, a product can come and go in its life cycle, but the brand will remain. Right. And then a lot of people also think it's a logo, but it's much, much more than a logo. A logo is just a design that represents the brand. But a brand is kind of a mix of different things. It's part psychology, part fact, part creativity. And when you put all those things together, you get what the brand is, and the brand is a promise. Right. And it's, yeah. Sorry. Go uh, ahead. Uh, is a brand, you know, I'm a marketer, so, I, but excuse the way I'm going to phrase this, but a brand's a combination of everything you do, isn't it? It's the ease of getting onto your website. It's the, it's your customer service. It's your um, um, social responsibility. It's all of that stuff rolled into a brand. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I, I like to think of it as a promise. So it's a product, a promise of quality. It's a, a promise of credibility. But most importantly, I think it's probably a promise of an experience. Right. So all those things you just talked about were different ways you experience a brand. But a strong brand is consistent in all those, all those touch points. Right. Uh, for a brand. And a brand, uh, a brand helps you sell. I, I remember for some reason, I remember the old saying that if you've got a, a if, if you're, if you manufacture Skoda car, yeah. you've got to sell them. If you manufacture a Mercedes, it sells itself. And the difference is the brand. So the promise the, of what you're going to get. Yeah. So, I mean, Skoda has, has a brand. It has a promise, which is cost effective but people are not going to pay more for that. But if your brand is about premiumness, you're going to pay more for it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting you talk about cars because one of my favorite stories of why should you spend time and effort creating a brand, well, this if this doesn't want you to become a brand, nothing else will. When, you know, Ford owned Jaguar and Range Rover, those iconic right. British brands. And they got rid of them to Tata Motors in India. Yeah. And Tata paid Ford $2.56 billion, yeah. not, for, not for the factories, not for the materials, not for the employees, yeah. just for those two brands. They put a cost, Goldman Sachs or someone. Put a value. Put a value on the brand and they paid $2.56 billion. And that was more than the factories, materials, employees all put together. Yeah. I think at Coca-Cola, 90% of the value of Coca-Cola is the brand, not their plant and equipment. Um, the, you've worked with some of the biggest brands in the world. What goes into building a successful brand? I've got a fabulous little 
widget. I've got a nice little company. How do I go about turning that into a brand? Or is it well, just is it just you know, I, everywhere I go, no matter where I go in the world, people say to me, "You've got a great brand," but I don't do anything except me. You know, so yeah. is it just well, getting your name out there enough, and you develop a brand? Or so you like as a as a brand expert, I would look at you. Bob and go. There's a lot you can do to strengthen your brand, but sure. the, the, but the reason people say that you have a strong brand is because a brand is about differentiation, and you, you as you embody something that's quite different to other people, and probably in the world of business and marketing, you are very different. So you already got a head start because your brand is differentiated against your competitors. Then the other thing is you're true to it. You're consistent to it. Because it's just yourself probably, you are absolutely authentic and true to it. So that's why people think you have a good brand. But if I'm a a business owner and it's it's not the Bob Pritchard show and I'm selling mechanical, well, I'm selling tires, right? There's not much of a point of, differentiation there so how do you create a brand and how I I just want to talk about the difference between um, what big brands do and what I'm trying to do because we've just heard about how much a brand can add to the value so big brands throw millions of dollars at brands and they have teams that just work on it and then they have different agencies they have brand agencies they have PR agencies they have advertising agencies they have ton of voice agencies and these are just working on brand well I'm not even talking about advertising or promotions or whatever they're just on brand and what all these companies do that are supplying these clients they have lots of very expensive and talented people working on this brand and they've got to pay these people. And what they do is they prolong the process um, working with a client so they can justify the cost and, and all the people. And you know what? The marketing people within the brand buy into it too because they have to justify their wage and they're very busy. They have to keep telling their boss they're very busy and, and over the years, I saw this again and again, and I would actually have big arguments with the senior manager of my company, and I was in the senior management, and I would just go, why are we doing this? We're, this is taking forever. No one's ever going to use this. And they said, well, we need to justify your wage. We need to justify your yeah. cost. So I shut up <laughs> straight yeah, away. Sure. But over the years, I've seen what works and what doesn't and what you need to do and what you don't need to do. And, you know, these um, branding jobs, would if you're doing a rebrand or a new brand, you're looking in a, in a, for a big company, you're looking at six months to two years process. Right. And they create all this stuff that no one's ever going to use and, um, it's just a total waste of a total waste of money. Whereas I've kind of developed a model which 
means you can do it in one day <laughs> for virtually nothing. So um, I think, you know, your question was what goes into building a brand. There could, you, you can, you know, agencies will say it takes forever and there's a whole lot that needs to go into. But actually, very few things do need to go into it. I, when I had my own agency, McMahon and Tate, which was in the early 2000s, um, I worked with this really clever strategist. She was the most brilliant person I've ever worked with. And she believed the same thing that I did, that there was just too much wank going on. And we kind of looked through all the things over the years we'd worked with, with all these, you know, Leo Burnett's and all the different big companies around the world. And we got rid of everything. And what we found was it came down to, we looked at the most successful brands in the world. And there was a common trait with all of them. They were, they were built on the back of two strong ideas, a business idea and a brand idea. And that's, that was it. And then off that, the, everything they did came off that. So the business idea was, why, why are you in business? Why is that going to make money? Why is that? Why are you differentiated? Then you went, well, what's the consumer benefit of that? Yep. That's why you're going to make money, but why are people going to love you? Right. And so off that um, business idea, we would then create the human benefit, the customer benefit, the thing that they're going to feel about you off that. And then off that brand idea, everything is done. Even companies would employ people based on our brand idea. Um, but your marketing, your advertising, your logo, your naming, everything, the design of your stores or whatever comes off your brand idea because that is what you want people to feel. And people will never see it. And what we did um, to give people an example because we were working on companies that maybe not everyone knew. But so we thought, well, let's take the most successful brand in the world. And at the time it was Apple. Right. And we went, and of course, because they're a big company, they probably have <laughs> reams and reams of documents that uh, a lot of people have made a lot of money from. But we went, well, what what is their business idea? And when we looked at it, we would tell them that their business idea is computers for people who don't like computers. Right. And you just think of that and go, that is going to make a gazillion. Right. You're, you're turning everything, computers scare me, but whether it was um, the iMac or the iPod or the iPad or iTunes or whatever it was, it was a computer, yet it was. It didn't seem like a computer. I, I think the amazing thing, and this reminds me a bit of you, because you're a master copywriter, so you're used to getting this massive amount of information and condensing it down into a very simple message. I know. I think what made Apple was the fact that Jobs said that you know more than one word in an ad is superfluous. Yeah. And he had all those magnificent ads with just one word, and he took a he took a unit like uh, an iPhone and which did about tasks that were previously done by 15 different pieces of equipment and just made it so simple that he didn't hmm. scare anybody. Everybody wanted to do it. Now, when you say you can create a brand 
in a day. I know that's a picking that. You, you mean you create the strategy for a brand. How long does it take between creating the strategy to develop a brand and actually having that start to penetrate people's consciousness so they register the brand? Do you know what I mean? Are you mean customers? Yeah, customers. Yeah, okay. How long does it um, take for that to sink in? Look, it, it depends on how big you are and and how true you are to the strategy. I, you know, I've 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 worked with a lot of companies and and especially even in since I've been doing the definery and over the years I've been doing it in various forms, and I I see some people embrace it and hold on to it, and those ones will see the success quicker mm. and obviously over a longer, longer period of time. Um, but the ones who kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds great, and just leave it, yeah. and then kind of go, well, it didn't really change much, <laughs> that's because you, you don't do it. So you didn't do it, yeah. Those things you were talking about earlier, Bob, like about the experience you have in the store or when phone calls, um, how your website looks, um, how your the, the name of your products, all that stuff, the more you have that shit together, obviously the quicker it's going to work. Right. Um, how, how big a role, and I guess it's easier to build a brand these days, it's easier to build um, an image of being a good corporate citizen and all that sort of stuff and being a good employer and all the things that, you know, go into making you... Um, people respect you. Um, social media has got to make that process easier, doesn't it, than the old days when you had to rely on advertising and word of mouth and all that's so slow. Absolutely, and that's why now I think there's a real opportunity and why I started the Definery is a small business could never become a brand right. 20 years ago. Yep. There's just no way. Um but also you didn't need to as much because you're probably in a in a local area and but now all the local areas are being taken over by big multinationals yeah but um, people can now create a brand cost effectively because you are able to spread your message out over social media um, and, and you can control your message and change your message so much more quickly, well, instantly. So yeah. um, you, you're able to mould 10 different messages in a day to create a picture where previously it would take you a lot more time. And now anyone who's interested in you goes to your website. Sure. Now, that is so important because people go there and their first impression is what they see on that website. So yep. your brand has to live and come to life um, on online first and foremost. Then yeah. off that, you've got all your different um, all your different social media channels and then your store experience or your office experience or your phone experience um, or your packaging experience. All those things are really key. But yes, nowadays, anyone can become a brand. Um, People become brands. You know, you talked about yourself. Um, but people, businesses, um, non-for-profit organizations, 
I've worked with all these people um, to help them become a brand. We hear constantly that millennials are not into brands. They don't give a rat's ass about brands. But indirectly, they do, don't they? They're just not the big I mean, yeah. flashy no. brands. They're it's, still buying into a brand, but it's a it's a much more closely knit developed brand, isn't it? It's still well, a brand. It's, it's absolute bullshit that they don't buy into brands. Um, in fact... They just don't they, buy into the brands that we buy into. Exactly. And th- they're probably the biggest buyer in of brands than anyone. But theirs is, it has to be credible. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's so many brands out there that hipsters love because they're, they've got some credibility, authenticity, they're, they're local, what, whatever it is. They but identify with their beliefs. They identify, and that's yeah. what a brand does. And, and all those products that they say, I buy because I'm not into commercialism, they're still buying into the brand and the brand story. They're rejecting the big commercialization of the McDonald's and the Cokes and all that stuff. Yeah. But, you know, they're buying into the kombucha brand – um, they just don't think they are. Yeah, um, yeah, I've got you. So I'm a small business. I've just started out and I'm somewhere. I come to you and I say, okay, I'm making widgets. How do you make me a brand? What What are the steps you go through? You obviously meet with me. You pick my brain as to what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and getting all that background stuff. So how do you then go about building a brand so i i listen a lot (laughs) um that that's the main thing i do um you know a lot of agencies will love to go away and come back and tell you what they think you should be right if i if you're a small business person that sells widgets i would come and look at your business and listen to you and basically we, what we do is we have a definery day, which doesn't even take a day. It's right. usually about half a day. And we put the key sta- stakeholders in the room. There's no pre-prep work. And um, I basically ask questions. And I just listen for a long time. And then I'm trying to create the business definition, this business idea of why they're going to make money. And what I do is after a while... I will, I will write down, I will use my strategic, but most importantly, my copywriting skills. And I, and I put some different options up of, is your business this? Is your business this? For instance, Apple, is your business computers for people who don't like computers? Right. And what happens is they all go, oh my God, that's it. That's what we do. You've, you've, you've nailed what we do. We've never... You've just said it in a much better way. Right. Um, And then they get really excited because basically I've shown the best self of their business. So I'm not trying to reinvent a business. I'm trying to tell them this is how your business is best shown. Right. 
Then off, the, off that, once we've done that, we'll then go, well, what's the consumer benefit of computers for people who don't like computers? Like computers? And we'll go through the same process and they will they will talk about it. But we might have another, we might have simplicity. You said simplicity before. Mm-hmm. The one we used to like to use was revolution. Right. It's just a higher a higher goal. And then they kind of go, Yes, that's us. It's revolution. Now that is what consumers will feel and see. Everything that comes out of that that widget company will be about revolution or simplicity or whatever. So everything that they do, the from their image to the way they talk to people on the phone to the way they address every question is all built around that... Um, the brand idea. Brand yes. idea. And, and it just makes it so simple. And that brand idea is not something that some marketing wanker has plucked out of the air. It comes directly from their business idea. Right. It's the human benefit of what they are in business for, why they're going to make money, and then how people are going to feel about that business or that product. And then the other, sorry. Yeah, go on. Then the, the last thing I do, which I never used to do, but I'm finding now this is the thing people want more than anything else, is I give them a verbal definition. The, uh, see, the key thing is people have a lot of trouble telling people what their business is. Yeah. It's, ama- it's amazing because they inherently know it and they've, they've lived with it for years and years. So when people talk about their business, they go the long way round or they assume that you know certain stuff. And so, you know, some people call it the elevator pitch, but I, I basically write what they would tell people. When they leave the room, they can say to all their staff, tell people when you're at a barbecue and say, what do you do or where do you work? And that, it, it's amazing how many people find it hard. In fact, there's a funny story. When I was working at, it was the biggest and most successful um, and well-recognized branding agency in Australia, um, we advised the biggest clients you know, Qantas and we had international clients like Sunglass Hut. Um, and these companies would pay us lots of money to tell them what they're about. And every now and then in a meeting, they would say, well, what is yours? And we couldn't tell them. And we tried in the five years I was in that company, we did it five different times. Mm. And we never nailed it. Because right. when, when you were so close to it, even though we were the team of experts, we couldn't tell anyone that was powerful enough what our point of difference was. I think one of the problems is that most people, you know, I'm a marketer and I've earned my, my living as a marketer. One of the problems is that most people don't know what the hell their business is. I'll give an example. We had a, um, a client who was a huge... Um, hardware chain and they used to advertise you know we've got the biggest range of saws and hammers and drills and stuff in the world well that was how they sold their brand yet people went to the store because they had a problem so when the real business that they're in was solving problems so when mm. we went from we got the biggest range of shit in the world to um, if you've got a problem around the house 
you know, we've got the experts who can help you fix it. Sales increased by 200 and something percent. Yeah. So I think most people can't nail their brand because I don't know what the fuck they really do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I had a, one of the most, the proudest things I ever worked on, and I used this process because it, they came to our big branding agency, but they didn't have any money because it was a non-for-profit. It was the very famous Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras, and they'd been going over for over 20 years, and their kind of relevance had disappeared. Yeah. And um, the, the gay and lesbian market had kind of been there, done that, and but their biggest issue was their, um, and their parties and hadn't sold out for years, but their sponsorship had really dropped off. Right. And they didn't, they had no story to tell sponsors and, um, the, and the government had never, ever sponsored them before. Right. So they came to us and I did this, basically what is now the definery day with them. And, you know, we would talk about, well, there are a march of gay rights and this and that. And, but I put to them kind of their business idea um, that they're helping the world love one another. Right. And they just, it just, it changed everything. Yeah. And it took it to the highest possible purpose. But they kind of went, wow, you're right. And all of a sudden, everyone could buy into that. And that year, they had their record sponsorship. The government sponsored them for the first time. They had the biggest um, uh, parade uh, attendance, and the party sold out for the first time in 10 years. Right, right. And we redid a logo based on that, and their, their brand definition was infinite love, and the logo was two hearts side by side making the infinity symbol. It was just, it's so beautiful. Right. And, but that's a classic example, Bob, is what you're saying even with the hardware store. You, you have to, people don't really, they talk, they talk in a very rational way of what they're selling rather than the benefit of what they're selling. Yeah. So we haven't got a lot of time left. So what are some small companies that you think have got a good brand? Um. Yeah, because you, it's easy for a big brand with lots of money to have um, a big brand. But I think if you look, like in the States, for instance, Tom's Shoes is an, is an amazing one. Yeah. Everyone, everyone's, and it's probably people may not think it's so small anymore, but it, it started small and it had a story and right. it had a yeah. clear vision and it has grown and grown and people love that brand. So yeah. people are loyal to it. Um, because of it. Um, also here, there's one that I've really noticed here, which I, I didn't know in Australia, but is WeWork. Um, and they tell the message, do what you love. I mean, it's an office space. Yeah. But they, they're just growing from strength to strength. And they just have a differentiation in their business idea and they're really clear what their brand idea is and and it's fantastic. Um, and the, the common denominator with all of the ones we've spoken about is that they're simple. It's a simple message. Yeah. I, I, I'll give you a... And look, they may even be easy because we kind of know them and they've had a point of difference. Probably... Um, 
the one I'm most pleased with was when I started doing this. It was 20 years ago when I was just kind of instinctively doing it. And my brother started a wine company. My little brother started a wine company. And he said, can you help me? And I said, well, let's work out because there's a million Chardonnays and Shirazes out there. Sure. And how are you going to differentiate? And so I said to him, what makes your wine different from anyone else? Now, that's a hard thing. How do you make wine differently? Absolutely. But we kind of thought about it for a while. And he said, well, actually, I'm in Australia, which is a new world wine country. But I actually love old world European styles. Right. But I'm going to take European styles but give it new world style. And that became his business idea. Right. And it also informed the kind of wines he made. So in his first year, he made the traditional wooded Chardonnay and the Shiraz and the Cabernet Sauvignon. And very quickly, and they did okay. Then very quickly, he changed it based on what his business idea was. And he started making Pinot Gris and Rieslings and Gewurz Tremener and Shiraz Viognier, And it went off. And but off his business idea, we his brand idea was refreshingly untraditional. Right. And that informed the design of their cellar door, which won the award for best cellar door in Australia, the labels which have won DNAD awards, um, his packaging, his events, blah blah blah. And he's and he's gone from in 20 years, he's gone from a small company that made three different wines. He now makes over 25 different wines. He has a multi-million dollar t- turnover. He exports to 12 different countries. And even when the Australian dollar rose, which for an exporter, it's that's terrible. Yes, it is. Yeah. He didn't lose one customer because those clients all around the world were loyal to that brand and they knew what it stood for. And that kind of consistency, that gives you an idea that even in a, a, a market where you think there's no differentiation, it's just wine. Right. But th- that's how the simplicity of defining what your business idea is, what's your differentiation, why is it going to make money, and then how are people going to respond to that, that's how it works. Greg, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. It's been a pleasure, Bob. You can learn more about The Definery, D-E-F-I-N-E-R-Y, at thedefinery.biz. That's thedefinery.biz. And if you want to take your company and make it a brand, mate, Greg's your guy. And I'm going to him, and I'm talking to him at the moment, actually, about um, sharpening up my brand. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network right after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. 
Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. And we're on Voice America Business Channel, and we've been here every week for the last five and a half years, and we're about to be here for another year. And we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs in the world. And this week, we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. It's really interesting that in the 1920s, mass media largely consisted of newspapers, although late in the 20s, radio became began to become important, but a new style of advertising was born where instead of listing a product's specifications and qualities, they began to stress the benefits in terms of lifestyle improvement. Consumers made decisions emotionally, companies emphasized USPs, customer service was important in terms of benefit and ease of doing business. The corporate manager of the 1920s, developed for the first time a concept of social responsibility because they were faced with greater challenge of legitimizing their positions in society over their um, entrepreneurial predecessors. So let's move forward to 2017. And while we kid ourselves that we are somehow much more sophisticated and enlightened, absolutely nothing has really changed. Today we're just bigger wankers. Certainly newspapers are dead, radio's changed dramatically, and the most effective marketing medium is social and digital media. But the structure of the effective marketing message to incentivize people to buy is exactly the same as it's been for 100 years. Now, I was amazed recently when I gave a presentation to a room full of technology CEOs and CMOs and began speaking about the critical keys in any marketing or sales message and the fact that nobody buys the product, they buy the personal benefit of the product, they all sat there dumbfounded. I was bombarded with questions during the presentation and when I left the stage, questions about the use of emotion, consumer purchasing benefits, wow, touch points, etc. they bombarded me with all these questions. The view of majority of attendees was that they promote a product in a well-integrated campaign against all, across all social and digital media, and they hope to hell it'll take off. Now, this is the same misguided logic that said 20 years ago, if you bombarded consumers with a million ads, your product's going to sell. Well, guess what, folks? The annals of marketing history is littered with well-promoted corporate corpses. You know, just bombarding people with ads doesn't fucking work. It doesn't work. There are a number of elements that should be included in any marketing or sales strategy, irrespective of the communication vehicle that you utilize. So let's just run through a few of those quickly. You got to know what business you're in. You know, the majority of businesses think what they do is the business that they're in. Now, that's ridiculous. You know, you, you say to somebody who's got a computer shop, what business are you in? And they say, we're in computers. Really? Of course they're not. And if you don't know what business you're in, you cannot clearly communicate with customers. It's just you've got a, a gap and you can't get over that gap. For example, if you say to somebody, a hardware store, what business is a hardware store in? They'll say, oh, they sell hardware. Well, you're a fucking idiot. 
hardware stores are in the problem-solving business. And that's a totally different business with a totally different message. So the first thing is you've got to know your business. The second thing, you've got to fully understand your customer. You know, we all know that you know, what geographic you've got to consider because it depends on, on how you do business. But you, you need demographic information. Well, that's not that important anymore because you can have somebody of, of 50 and they live in exactly the same way as somebody of 20. So you need psychographic information, you need behavioural information and product-related information. And unless you understand all that about your customer, you can't sell them anything. You've got to clearly differentiate yourself from competitors. If you're just one of 500 people that are all selling the same crap, you are not going to get market share. So you've got to differentiate. And that differentiation can be real or it can be perceived, you know. Make it up. I remember, I remember um, um, a soap powder that advertised itself as whiter than white, and that's the reason you should buy it. It makes your clothes whiter than white. What the fuck is whiter than white? It's ridiculous. But it worked, and they became the biggest selling soap powder in the world. So you've got to present a clear choice to the potential customer. You need a consumer purchasing benefit. Now, that's your major benefit, differential from your competitor, converted into an emotional trigger that will get your customer saying, I'm going to buy that for that reason. You have to turn all product features into emotional benefits. So every product feature must become an emotional benefit. All marketing message focus must be on the customer. Forget the product. Forget the product. The product's not important. It's got to be on the customer. What does the customer want? How does it solve their problem? Product features do not sell your product. Only benefits sell. You've got to give positively outrageous service. Everywhere there's a consumer, company, product touch point, you've got to create outrageous service. And this doesn't matter whether it's online or offline. Your, mus- your message has got to be in line. Whether it's online or offline, it has to be in line. You've got to be a good society employee and community citizen. You've got to give back. You need to add value to every transaction. It dramatically increases sales results, reversing the risk can double sales potential. So these are some of the considerations, but they're just the basics. If you're running a business and your results are not what you'd like them to be, you've got to send me an email now. Too many people who call themselves marketers, not up, not only in startups and early stage businesses, do not have a clue about the critical fundamentals of marketing to their own peril. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you are taking up way too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. Next week, we'll be back broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard, where technology meets entertainment, and I hope you could join me again. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. Thank you. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. 
Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.